Well, good morning. Uh, like Rich said, I'm Justin. Um, for those who don't know me, there's a picture of my wife, Jackie, my beautiful wife, Jackie, and my two boys, Micah and Asher. This is a picture taken from our summer camping trip at uh, Flaming Gorge, Utah. Uh, fun trip. As Rich said, I've been part of this community for uh, about 10 years now. During those years, I've served many roles you might have came across me in. I spent about a month on the setup team until I threw out my back. <laughs> I did a, a year of ushering. I did about three years as a counter. I did sort of two years on the board as a trustee, a couple more years as a, the church's financial secretary. Uh, I've been running the sound system, thanks Chris, for about five years, and then four years as uh, our high school youth ministry uh, on that team. So for those of you who've been adding up all those numbers and realizing there must be some overlap because they add up to more than 10, well, this sermon is for you. Uh, you see, I'm a mechanical engineer who happens to work on rocket propulsion systems, which means two things. Uh, number one, uh, I'm a numbers guy. And number two, I'd be much more comfortable sitting in the back with limited social interaction. <laughs> so today, I'm going to uh, be preaching a math sermon. <laughs> Ryan, this is for you. This is a, a way to counterbalance all of the language sermons that we get here every week, right? So I was afraid that when I said that, there'd be a mass exodus for the doors, but I'm not preaching exodus today. So um, no, what I hope to do, though, is uh, through math, give everybody a new outlook on evangelism. So why numbers? To answer that, let's start with words. Uh, words are human creations. We create words to communicate ideas. A lot of times the idea that we're trying to communicate in the church setting is the idea of God. To do this, we use similes, metaphors, analogies. Sometimes we'll use poetry or music. But we always will fall short. We'll never be able to fully communicate the idea of God through our words. Numbers, on the other hand, we don't use those to communicate the idea of God, but numbers, in my mind, are a glimpse into the mind of God. And what I mean by that is uh, numbers and science describe the nature of the world around us with equations, often some simple equations. As an example, Isaac Newton that's my extent of my props. Isaac, <laughs> Isaac Newton discovered that all objects fall at the same rate. It's called gravity. And it works ev the same everywhere in the universe. God created that number. By the way, uh, one common misconception is that uh, there was an apple in the tree in the Garden of Eden. But nowhere in the book does it mention that it was an apple. Um, similarly, uh, Humpty Dumpty's never mentioned be an egg in that nursery rhyme. And you'll, I'm sure you'll all be reciting it in your head later to, to figure that out. But because uh, these equations describe nature, there are a way we can understand the mind of God. So with words, 
their human creations. Numbers and math it already exists, and we just discover it. My favorite example of this is the God equation, or Euler's formula. It's shown on the screen here. Uh, e raised to the i pi plus 1 equals 0. Now, I won't get into the complex math needed to uh, derive this equation. You're welcome. Uh, but th there's beauty in this equation. Sorry, Ryan. So this equation simultane simultaneously captures the whole and the nothing, one and zero. It captures the finite and the infinite, finite being the integers one and zero, infinite being these transcendental numbers, e and pi, the, the digits of those numbers go on forever. It also captures reality with an equal sign and imagination. That little i there is an imaginary number. Um, Mathematicians often use imaginary numbers to represent alternate dimensions. So all of that is wrapped up into this simple little equation. And I, as a math and science guy, can't understand how you can look at an equation like this and not see anything other than the existence of an intelligent creator. So seeing God through numbers and math is just a different way to round out our understanding of God. It's just approaching God from a different angle. It's the same way that uh, the Bible uh, talks about God through different genres of books within the Bible. The Bible contains historical narratives, uh, gospels, prophecy, law, wisdom, songs, uh, all those different genres are in the Bible, and it gives us a really full picture. Pursuing, pursuing God through science and mathematics is just, in a sense, using another genre to look at God. As an interesting uh, side note, some of the church's greatest theologians were actually great mathematicians through history. So what was the genesis of this sermon? No, it falls flat again, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Bible jokes. How did the sermon begin? How did I come up with the idea of this sermon? Well, it started, uh, it started with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, put it up there. Jesus said to his 11 apostles at the time, um, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus said that, I was wondering, well, how did they do? What happened after that? And math can answer that question for us. So there's a population growth model, an equation for population growth, shown here on the screen. P equals P naught times G to raised to the nth power. That little zero is pronounced naught. So in this equation, P is the final population. P naught is the initial population of Christians. G is the growth rate, which we'll get to in a minute. And N is the number of generations from Jesus' time until now, present day. A quick algebra lesson, anytime you have an equation, in this case, here's an equation with four variables. If you know three out of the four variables, you can solve for the last one. So what do we know? We know the initial population of Christians at the time when Jesus gave that, the, the commission uh, was 11. Uh, actually, in Acts 1, um, it mentions that there are 120 
Christians, and later in Acts 4 it mentions another 5,000. But just for argument's sake and to be conservative, in this sermon we're going to use 11 for that initial population of Christians. Next, we know that N is the, the number of generations between Jesus' time and present day. There were about 100 generations in that time. And finally, we know that the current population of Christians in the world, according to the last census, was 2,184,060,000. So that's three of our variables. Uh, next slide, please. So we can solve for G, the growth rate. In this, uh, this is a plot of the Christian population increasing over time. On the bottom left is in, is in Jesus' time, There's, that's 11. And it grows until present day, just over 2 billion. And the growth rate that would give us that curve is 1.22. So what does that number mean? Uh, to give you some context. That means that each Christian has uh, preached the gospel or converted 1.22 new Christians on average over the history of our church. At some points in time, it may have been at a higher rate, at some points less, but on average, over the history of the Christian church, that growth rate is 1.22. So let's go through a few examples of, of growth rate just so we can all understand this. If the growth rate, or G, is equal to 1, that would mean each one of the 11 disciples of Christ would have reached one new Christian in the next generation. That Christian would have reached one new Christian in the next generation after that, and so on until present day, where we'd have 11 Christians in the world. Now, uh, that would be like if my wife and I, who have two boys, were successful at, uh, at transferring our faith onto our two boys, and that's it. That's all we did with our life, and uh, you wouldn't call that really evangelistic, right? Now, on the other hand, if G was equal to 2, if, you're, if the growth rate of Christianity was 2, next slide, please. The, each one of the 11 disciples of Christ would have passed their faith on to two people in the next generation. Each one of those two would then have passed their faith on to two people in the next generation after that. Those, those little graphics, those guys in the graphics, uh, those are Christians, obviously. Um, so in that first generation, we had 11. In the, the, the second generation, how many do we have? Thank you. And the next generation after that? Awesome. This is the right crowd for this. So um, an example of, and this, this would continue on until present day, where we'd have a really, really large number of Christians. So large, I can't even put it on the screen. Um, an example of this growth rate of two can be uh, described through an old uh, Indian legend. It's about the creator of the game of chess. Now, the emperor of India was so impressed with this game of chess that he invited the creator of the game to the palace. And he says to the creator of chess, you name your reward and I'll give it to you. Now, the creator of chess being a pretty smart guy thinks about it for a minute, and he says, I have just one small request. I would like 
a single grain of rice for the first square of the chessboard. I'd like two grains of rice on the second square of the chessboard. I'd like four grains of rice on the third square of the chessboard, eight on the fourth, and so on for all 64 squares. Now the emperor immediately agreed to this, thinking he got off pretty easy, just giving some grains of rice. That is until he had to pay up and his treasurers came and informed him that the amount of rice it would take to fulfill that request is more than could be produced in the entire kingdom over many centuries. So that was doubling a grain of rice 64 times. So imagine with Christianity doubling 100 generations. It's a huge number, right? So since the growth rate is actually 1.22, what that actually means, what we've historically done as Christians, is we've been able to replace ourselves in the next generation, plus with every four or five of us, uh, convert one new person. Look at the closest four or five people around you. That, that group of people that you're looking at takes all of you over your entire lives to reach one new person. Now, I, as a super introvert, think 1.22 is pretty weak. So I would like to challenge the church to change that 1.22 into a 2. I believe even I, as someone who's not super social, can do 2. I can reach my faith to 2 new people. It doesn't seem like too far of a stretch for me. But it would make a huge difference in the world. Let me explain. With future population projections, the world population will get to 9.77 billion people by 2050 a little over 30 years from now. If all of us Christians right now changed our growth rate from 1.22 to 2, we would increase the percent of Christians in the world from the current 32% to 74%. I have to believe that the world would be a better place if we did that. Just to sober everyone up a little bit, we have to increase our growth rate from 1.22 to 1.5 just to maintain the current 32% of Christians in the world. If we, main, if we continue at a rate of 1.22, the number of Christians in the world will dwindle to just 13% by 2050. Yeah, it's kind of scary. So we must do better than we've ever done in the past over the history of the church just to maintain status quo. I'd like us to even do better than that. So that group of four or five people that you just made has just shrunk down to three just to maintain status quo. So what does this look like for us getting practical? If you're a parent, it's extremely important that you make your faith sticky to your children. In fact, I would argue that while your kids are in your house, that that be your primary focus. If you and your spouse have uh, four kids, let's say, that's two for each of you. That your goal is covered. Focus on them, <laughs> right? If you and your spouse, like my wife and I, have two kids, 
That's one for each of us. I would say that you would need to focus on those kids while they're in your house. And then once they're, they're grown up and moved on, we have the rest of our lives to reach one new person each. The larger teaching theme this fall is wisdom and stability. What I'm trying to argue today is that there's stability in evangelism. It's the stability of focus. I'm urging us as parents to prioritize the spiritual formation of our children, our own kids. Imagine the strength and security and clarity that our kids receive from parents who are devoted to God. How many of us can look back with gratitude on a parent whose faith profoundly encouraged our faith, whose commitment to God provided a deep sense of stability for our family? If you don't have children, then pour into people where you work or where you recreate. As grandparents, mentors, members of this church, members of society, we can all play a significant role to someone. The goal is two. The point is that it's super impactful, that super impactful evangelism is focused and personal. In the Master's Plan for Evangelism, Robert Coleman makes this point. He says that Jesus changes the whole world by building a relationship with 12 men. So all this math is telling us that we can make a big difference with small numbers and that it's this focused, personal, uh, relational type of evangelism. But this also happens to be the kind of evangelism that's described in scriptures. In uh, Luke 24, the Emmaus Road story that's guided our church, um, two men are walking towards Emmaus, and as they're walking, Jesus joins them. The verse says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And Jesus didn't just sit there on the side of the road and watch them walk by and preach at them, right? He joined them on their journey. He walked with them. He talked with them. And later he broke bread with them. All through the scriptures are stories and examples of Jesus living with people. He's doing all these things, living with people, praying with people, eating with people. He even partied with people. In Mark 12, 31, the second part of the great commandment, this is what Jesus says. He says, after loving your God, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't get more personal or relational than that, I don't think. That's the great commandment. It's very personal. Jesus knows that the most effective way to spread the good news is relational and personal. That's why he told us that. All throughout the New Testament are examples of these early Christians living, living out that kind of faith. Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters of the New Testament, and he wrote these letters to a bunch of churches that he started throughout the whole world. Um, he didn't just start churches and move on. He lived with the people at these churches that he started. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. A great analogy that happens to align with our youth ministry is that of fire. The population growth model, the math model that we've been talking about, tells us that we can make a huge difference with small numbers, like two. In the same way, 
A whole forest fire can be started with a single spark. That spark doesn't start the fire by going around and lighting every bush and tree. No, it just lights one. That's why our youth ministry in its various forms has been called Fuel 45, Ignite, Ember, and Wildfire. Our children are our sparks. So my hope with this sermon this morning is that you've got a new idea of evangelism from something like handing out pamphlets on the corners, preaching to large groups of people, confronting strangers and other scary things, at least to me, they're scary. Some people are gifted to something that's more approachable, something that's more intimate, something that's more personal, something that's described through our scriptures. So even I, as an introvert among introverts, can take the challenge of two. So the question is, who are your two? I'd like to slow down for just a minute here and think about that. Go ahead. Um, I want everyone, if they have a notepad or, a note, or the note sheet, there's a space on there for you to write down the names of two people. If you don't have a note sheet, think of two people and you can go write them down later. Spend some time to think about this. Think about people in whose lives you've been placed in a unique spot to make a super big impact. So we... Uh, you think of those people who you can have a big impact on who can you also devote your life to sharing your faith with sharing your life with those two people that you write down are the people that you're going to be sharing meals with Please pass the peace to your neighbor. May the peace of Christ be with you.